Hi, my name's Sophie Colson. I'm a solicitor with the indictable team at Sydney Head Office. Um, and with me, I have public defender, Peter Pearsall. Uh, and today, we're going to be presenting a podcast on how to prepare a brief of evidence for counsel. Um, I was given the opportunity to choose which barrister I wanted to interview for this podcast. And I chose Peter because he likes his briefs in a very meticulous and workable way and I think that everyone can benefit from knowing um, how, he pre- how he likes his briefs of evidence prepared and also the reasons behind why. So welcome Peter. <laughs> it's good to be here. <laughs> now Pete, if you could just explain to the listeners uh, or tell them a little bit about who you are and what you do. Uh, yes, I'm a, a barrister with the um, New South Wales Public Defenders and uh, for the last two years I've been back in Sydney after being in Wollongong for a very long time and I've been in the Rolling Wrist Court um, and so the last six months of that has been with, uh, with Sophie and the Rolling Wrist Court's a court in front of um, uh, Judge McClintock SC and the idea is that um, it's to make, uh, I suppose, efficiencies really. Um, what you have is two, uh, two teams of uh, defence, there's two... Uh, defence counsel and defence solicitors and two opposing uh, prosecution teams. So the advantage is you have the one uh, the one solicitor for everything, you have the one crown for everything, you have the one judge for everything and if uh, your opposite number's out of court um, you'll be out of court and vice versa so you can um, it, it makes it easier to communicate about things, um, people tend to trust each other, um, there's not a lot of reliance on notices and things like that. Uh, I don't think I've seen a 142 or 143 notice the entire time I've been in the rolling list. Um, it works very, very well and to a large degree that's because of the personalities of the people involved and particularly um, Judge McClintock who uh, is perfect for this sort of, um, sort of role. Uh, just in relation to briefs, look you all know uh, what a brief is um, and uh, I'm not a very organised person so I've got to try extra hard to deal with that by being sort of uh, organised in, in some particular ways so things if they're going to fail will fail safely uh, when you're preparing a brief of course what you're trying to do is get uh, all of the uh, relevant not irrelevant information to counsel um, so that they know um, A, who they're acting for, uh, B, uh, what the client's charged with, uh, C, where's the proceedings up to, that is, you know, is it still in the local court, is there um, early appropriate guilty plea considerations, uh, do those timelines play any role, um, then what the, uh, you might decide whether you're pleading guilty or not guilty at that stage, so, you know, you would tell in the brief um, what you want the barrister to, to do, whether it's advice um, just as the strength of the case or the person should be pleading or um, if it's going to trial, um, he'll almost, or she'll almost automatically give you advice on um, evidence in response. But what you're saying, what you're really doing is getting the information that's necessary for the barrister to do what, do what you want them to do um, as conveniently and efficiently and quickly as possible. So they've got all the information They've got to know uh, what it is you want and they've got to be uh, warned as to what uh, things to look out for. And that's where the memorandum comes in. Uh, the memorandum from uh, the solicitor setting out um, well, the things we've talked about but um, particularly uh, telling them what you want them uh, to do next 
and so that might be, as I say, to look at particular documents quickly because there might be some deadline looming. Um, say if you're in a trial situation and uh, the prosecution have served you one, their 142 notice, uh, section 142 under the Criminal Procedure Act, then you'll have to put yours on within a certain amount of time. Um, a lot of courts aren't too bad about that, but some judges are particularly finicky about it. And so um, you want to make it clear when you send somebody a brief what uh, what timelines are looming. As I say, there could be EAGP timelines, and they're um, something you've really got to be careful of. Uh, or there could be timelines about um, uh, filing certain documents. So um, I tend to... Uh, I, I like things in alphabetical uh, form, um, and the biggest thing in this is the Crown brief. Now, when the Crown or the police um, put a brief together, they generally don't do it in alphabetic form. Um, it's just a collection of documents, you know, Smith, Jones, Williams, Harris, just flows, flows down. Um, some people like their briefs in um, with all the police witnesses together, with all the civilian witnesses together, with all the medical witnesses together. Um, really, what you've got to do is find out from the council you're briefing, if you haven't briefed them before, how they like their briefs. Look, it, it doesn't matter if it's alphabetical, it could be in Klingon, who cares, as long as... Um, both of you and the you and the council are on the same page, and you've given it to council so that um, it's in a form that allows them, um, uh, according to their preferences, to be as efficient with the brief as possible. But as I say, uh, I like um, the brief to be alphabetical, and when you get it, um, when you get the crown brief, it won't be alphabetical. Generally, it won't be anyhow. I'm talking here about paper briefs. You'll also um, get uh, electronic briefs um, and that's fine but in court um, I find I like everything to be alphabetical so if somebody mentions a witness Jones um, I can go straight to Jones I don't have to remember whether Jones is a doctor or a policeman or a civilian go straight to Jones I mean look they don't organise the phone book in terms of people's occupations or you know, how long they've had the phone on um, it's alphabetical and that's the best way to do it for me anyhow what we might do, Pete, is yeah. actually go... I've got a brief of evidence here sure. uh, for the listeners. Basically, brief, uh, Pete likes his briefs separated into five tabs. So what we might do is work through a brief of evidence that I've prepared for Peter, um, going through each of those tabs, what he likes behind them, in what order, and the reason why those documents are important to be included in a brief. So the first tab is correspondence. Yeah, with that, I just that, that usually starts with the memorandum from um, the solicitor. Um, look, I don't think it's necessary to have all the correspondence in there, just uh, perhaps relevant correspondence. You can have a separate, complete correspondence file, but you don't, probably don't want to cart that to court. Um, uh, you could, some of the correspondence uh, will be things that you would... Um, you might put in a, in a different uh, tab, and that's in the, the um, pleadings tab, and I'll tell you why I say that uh, shortly. But generally, for, for just correspondence in relation to organisational things that is, that is significant, um, you might put that um, just in the correspondence uh, file and just have it, you know, again, in chronological order. Um, you can always tab something in there if there's something that has to you know, uh, stand out for some other reason. But just, it's just generally general correspondence. 
So that could in include, like you've said, a memo to council yeah. um, and particularly maybe any handover memos from previous solicitors who exactly, have had courage yeah. of that. That's exactly right. Um, or any particularly important correspondence yeah. that uh, council law, the solicitor, might need in yeah. at short notice. Yes, that's right. Um, I might just get you to very briefly go through your headings in what you like to be included in your memo. Yeah. Look, um, you can... You can include in the memo, if you wish, a, a sort of a, um, an index, but the index to the brief can be separate. I mean, it doesn't have to be an index, but it's handy if there is, if you've got the time. Look, all of this really is a council of perfection. Often, you're not going to have time when you're preparing a brief, uh, particularly if you're in private practice with um, costs and time restraints that you know, unfortunately apply. Um, I mean, I'm the first to accept that the, the legal aid scheme for... Um, Criminal matters in you know in New South Wales is really um, subsidised by the private profession, uh, both council and uh, solicitors who really um, put in much more effort than they get paid for to make the system work. Um, so all I, all I want to say is all I, I say here is based on the idea of what we would do if it was you know if we had the time and the opportunity. Sometimes we don't. Uh, so yeah, with the the way um, the way. Uh, Sophie does the uh, memo is really good um, she obviously starts with um, who you uh, who we're acting for the charges basically um, any 166 matters we're up to she'll indicate what is being put in under the correspondence tab um, uh, I also and we've talked about that I then have a, a tab which I just call trial um, that can be um, um, things like the, the, the CAN notices, Section 166, etc. Sometimes, um, I've, I, a lot these days, I use the, t the trial um, tab for things I'm, like tools I'm using in the trial itself, like any, um, uh, perhaps an index uh, of um, witnesses, um, a, a table of comparisons or contrasts of what uh, witnesses say about particular things, um, a trial chronology. Um, while I'm on chronologies, it's also really handy if you can have a brief chronology of relevant dates in the course of the trial, not not the chronology of the of the offence and the investigation, but you know, like date of offence, um, date of arrest. Uh, any bail dates, um, date of committal, um, dates of uh, any time, you know, time uh, limits that are on you in, re in relation to the AGP or any of that sort of thing. So you can sort of follow it through. Um, the handy thing about having one of those is that if something goes wrong, um, you as a sister may be required to show on an affidavit about something. And so it's really handy if you can be in a position, position to, to do an affidavit um, relating to the course of the trial um, at fairly short notice. So you don't want to be trying to you know, put this together um, while scrambling around trying to you know, investigate times and what happened, etc. Having a chronology of what's happened in the matter is a really, really helpful idea. You probably won't need it um, very frequently, but if you do, you will need it in a big way. Um, look, just before we, we go on, it's always handy in the, in, 
in the front of a brief somewhere to have just a, a document, sort of like a data sheet. It doesn't have to be complicated, but it just says we've got the client's um, name, address, the contact details of him, other members of his family if you can't find them, um, the name of the Crown, the other side solicitor, um, and particularly bail conditions, you don't want to have a situation where you know, there's a sudden uh, need to change the bail and you're not quite sure what the bail conditions are. It's a bit embarrassing. I saw it happen the other day to somebody. Um, so if you have one of those, just a page, you come in front of the brief with all, all, the, all the details you might need to know at very short notice. Uh, okay, just be back to the, the trial tab again. Um, Sophie uh, has the indictment, the waiver of committal, etc., um, amended uh, cans, uh, police facts, etc. Um, I've started, though, to put things like the indictment in a, a separate tab, which I just call pleadings. Um, it's not my idea. I read this somewhere some time ago, and this is how somebody broke it up, and it struck me as very, very good. Um, anything that you've filed in court... Uh, such a, or somebody's filed in court, such as um, the indictment, um, uh, any 177 notices, uh, any um, hearsay notices, any tendency notices, um, any notices of motion, affidavit, etc. Um, they should all go behind the pleadings because that's that's really what they are. Also, it might be handy to have behind behind the pleadings. Um, any, any correspondence with the Crown where you've given them certain notice about your intention to do something or rely on something or challenge something or object to something, because sometimes you'll need that at short notice in court where you're saying that the, the Crown's about to do something and you say, hold on, I told you, you know, two days ago or three weeks ago that we're, we're objecting to this and you didn't get back to us, etc. So you want to be able to reach, to reach for that pretty quickly. So you know that, that can go behind your pleadings. Um, as I say, just organise this to suit yourself, but it's got to be so um, you can find things quickly and um, putting things of a similar nature behind the same tab and making sure that your you barrister knows uh, the rationale behind those tabs is, is a way to, to organising that. Um, as I say, this is all just so you can... The, the barrister, uh, when he or she picks up the brief, and particularly in the trial is able to get information quickly if they haven't, you know, if they're not already on top of it. All right, so we might keep going through yeah. the memo and then we'll go through okay. the tabs sure, individually. Sure, sure. So what else do you like other than a bit of an index as to what's included behind the tabs? Uh, yeah, look, as I say, okay, we'll start. Um, look, yeah, it's, it's handy if uh, you can prepare a bit of a, break, a, bit of a, a background to the whole thing so to give um, the barrister some kind of idea, some feel of what the thing is likely to be about. Um, that doesn't have to be uh, extensive in any way and again if you've got the time look this everything I say really depends upon uh, the, the circumstances of the case um, you know whether how big the case is how complicated it is some things are very straightforward and some things aren't so you just have to adapt what you say um, in the memo to reflect that but um, if, if you have um, you know, learned or got some insight into the case um, or some um, understanding of the client or even the prosecution witnesses that might be readily available to counsel, then put that in the memo to save them the time of having to um, chase things up before they come to the same conclusion. 
um, particularly things about the client themselves because sometimes you get the feeling for a client after you've seen them a number of times and you can you know you can boil that down and put it into the uh, into the memo um, also you'll want to put things in that you think are uh, really um, have to be considered so particularly weaknesses in the prosecution case, weaknesses in the defence case, etc. So spell those out as, as, as clearly as you can. Sometimes you might want to you know, make references to where things appear in certain statements or whatever, but again, it's just, it just depends upon the, on the case itself. Uh, you might also want to uh, raise questions um, as to uh, whether there's been sufficient disclosure or whether you should be making further um, applications for disclosure or whether you should be uh, issuing subpoenas. Look, my belief is the subpoena um, is your friend. Um, I love subpoenas. I've always loved subpoenas. Um, you will win, you know, they will greatly assist you. Um, a carefully drafted subpoena is a really good thing. Um, some, there's very rare exceptions to, to that uh, proposition. Um, but they do exist. You've got to be careful in subpoenaing things, particularly where your client's charged with some kind of computer uh, uh, offence involving computer and, and child sex. Um, this was pointed out to me by Justine Hall, a sister in um, uh, Wollongong. I was about to issue some subpoena, and uh, we might have actually issued it, but the, she warned me about the dangers of that. And they came home. That there's, you get, you end up getting more stuff revealed than you than you want to know so you've got to be a bit careful about that but apart from that I think subpoenas are fantastic they really are and you should you should learn you know you should be aware of the law on subpoenas too um, now in relation to instructions look I believe in getting the instructions as fully um, and early as you can not everybody believes that for various reasons and some you know really good counsel um, don't agree with that but I've always found it, it good to to know exactly what your client's going to say um, in any situation particularly if you're contemplating putting him in a witness box you really have to know where the dangers are the other thing about instructions is um, to make sure that and sometimes it's not apparent to make sure there's no um, mental health um, issues uh, lurking um, you know, you don't want to be um, coming up to the trial and discover you've got a question of unfitness. Um, the other thing about instructions are, um, and this is a, a general proposition, if you get a, if you get instructions and you're a solicitor, um, investigate them as much as you can. It, it's, and if somebody says, look, I've got a witness, Mr X, who can support me on this, get a statement from Mr X as soon as you can, because if you don't, sure as hell, Mr X will drop dead before the trial and you'll be embarrassed. Um, and if you, if you get the statement and it drops dead after that, fantastic because um, you can tender the stuff, you don't, remember your defence you don't have the same restrictions on tendering or relying on hearsay evidence as the prosecution do you don't have all those um, reliability um, obstacles under section 65 too um, yeah look often there'll be um, You've got to make sure that counsel knows what's missing in the brief, whether there's, there's anything else that should be uh, sought or anything else that's on the way. Um, if you've got uh, 
if you plan to do something else, um, particularly if you plan to have any correspondence with the Crown uh, or communication with the Crown about something that's a bit um, could be a bit tricky, just make sure you've told uh, your council uh, what you're going to do, so he can have or she can have some kind of input into that. Um, is there anything particularly you else no, you want to raise about that? I think that, that's all for memos and yeah. also in that um, correspondence section, as we said, any um, handover memos between solicitors or any particularly important correspondence. We might move on to the next tab, which is the yeah. trial tab. We've yeah. talked a little bit about that um, earlier on in the podcast, but if you, you might want to talk about what you like included behind that trial tab. Yeah. Look, uh, a lot of the trial tab... You can. The idea is that the trial tab will have stuff that you, you want on a day-to-day basis in the trial itself. I tend these days to put things like the indictment in the pleadings tab. In the trial tab, um, you would want, uh, and you you won't know this until close to the trial. Um, you want the uh, crown order of witnesses. Put that there at some stage. Um, you want your cross-examination. Um, so often, you know, solicitors will have some um, thoughts on what the areas of cross-examination should be, and they sometimes put that in. But often, that's mostly something, well, generally something the council does um, later on. But you, you need, you know, you should put a, a tab in there so that uh, council can um, fill it up as he goes, so to speak, or she goes, so to speak, because there will be what I'm thinking mostly of. Um, is any chronology. Um, that's something you might want to have immediate access to. You don't want to be going looking through you know, other areas. Um, so there's your chronology of the, um, the, tri- the, of the uh, trial process, so to speak, when he was charged, when he got bail, etc., etc. Um, and there's the chronology for the, um, the commission of the offence and the investigation of it. And sometimes you don't need those things, but um, if it gets a little bit complicated, it's really... Um, handy to have a, a chronology. And a chronology also will... Sometimes when you're doing a chronology and you, as you go on, things will emerge. Um, inconsistencies, inconsistencies in the Crown case uh, will emerge because you'll think, hello, you know, this is this has only happened at a particular time. There's been some development at a particular time and it might show some sort of... Uh, or shine some sort of light on um, what witnesses have been up to I'm hard-pressed to think of an example for that at the moment, but um, it certainly happens. You'll have a much better understanding of uh, the the matter if you've got a chronology. Um, it, it's almost definitional. Um, okay, look, the Crown case statement, um, that's something that you, that um, can be in um, behind the uh, trial tab or... Um, or uh, in the pleadings tab because it actually these days is a pleading it's part of the 142 um, document that has to be served on you um, you might have in the trial tab also um, things like the application to waive committal hearings, the can notices those sorts of stuff um, you'd also probably have the facts the police fact sheet um, the police fact sheet is more, usually more general than the Crown case statement because by then, by the time we get to a Crown case statement, the prosecution have had to um, pretty much define the evidence they're going to rely on and the, um, the way they conduct the case. 
Um, look, a disclosure certificate. Um, a disclosure certificate is, is something under... It's 15 uh, capital A of the um, uh, Director Public Prosecutions um, Act. Um, you should be familiar with 15A because it sets out what the, what the police have to give to the, um, the DPP. Uh, the disclosure certificate itself um, is something that they have to give the DPP and the DPP um, almost always passes it on to the defence. Um, a thing to be aware of is that certainly up until um, a couple of months ago, it may have changed, they were providing the police only had on their system an out-of-date form of the disclosure certificate. Um, it's got to be... Um, it's required under the Act to be consistent with... Um, the, uh, the schedule to the DPP uh, regulation, I think 215. Um, they were doing it under the old regulation. Now, generally, it's not going to be a problem, but sometimes um, it might be. So just bear that in mind. Uh, look, I can't um, overemphasise the importance of chasing up disclosure. Uh, there's a couple of very good articles on it. Uh, one is uh, by I think Felicity Graham and Steve Lawrence, and there's another one um, by I think it's Sarah uh, Bailey B A Y L E Y of Council. Um, if I've got that name wrong, we'll make some inquiries after this and find out. But you really should be aware of the disclosure requirements, and they're not just they're not just the uh, 142 requirements on the Crown. There's also a guideline, I think it's uh, 19 of the DPP. Um, DPP guidelines are really good, they're reflective of the common law. There's also the obligations under the, on the police under uh, 15 capital A of the um, DPP Act. And there are also, people forget this, the obligations on solicitors and barristers who appear um, as crowns under the, um, the uniform... Um, Australian bar rules and uh, also I think there's obligations uh, for solicitors under the, um, the uh, relevant equivalent um, rules for solicitors so have a look at those um, there's you know, a bit more of that than, than people um, generally know Definitely. We'll move on to the defence tab which is the third tab that Pete likes in his brief and what do you like behind that tab? Look I, I think just you, you need a a detailed um, paragraph numbered statement of the client. Now that will change, um, but look, don't give counsel, um, don't give them, you know, a couple of pages of sort of generalised denials about things, particularly if they're not paragraph numbered. D don't give them to them in, in dot form. Give them to them in a statement so they can put various propositions. Um, two witnesses in the trial. So the defence um, or the, the client proof should deal with everything that's uh, allegedly said or done by the client um, and uh, on that the, the prosecution is going to rely on. So if you've got witnesses say, look, you know, Mr X, the accused, did A or B or said A or B, then... When, you're, when you get to be cross-examining those witnesses, you're going to have to know what the client says about those allegations so you can um, put denials to the 
uh, witness if necessary. And if you don't put, you know, if you don't put denials that you're obliged to under Brown and Dunn, um, then you'll be in strife. Um, that's one of the few things you can get done for uh, negligence for. Um, you've got to, you know, you've got to raise these things. You've got to do those points. Um, so you've got to know what your instructions are, and it, you, you can't start putting wrong instructions because you've got inadequate um, details from your solicitor, because it'll all, it'll all, um, you know, go pear-shaped very quickly. So plenty of detail, set it out in paragraphs. Um, things will change. The client will remember things of additional stuff. You can always add those later on. But my view is, instead of adding bits and pieces and writing things between paragraphs in pencil, just do a new proof and call it, you know, proof of evidence number two. It doesn't matter as long as when you go into the when your counsel goes into um, cross examination or goes into um, leading evidence, um, it's clear um, what the instructions are. So it's, yeah, that's having a reliable proof of evidence from the client which is going to reflect what the client is eventually going to say when he hits the witness box or she hits the witness box is vital there's no other word for it now the um, next thing I've put under the behind the defence tab is a statement from a witness, a defence witness that yeah. we may propose to call in yeah. this trial yeah. is, is that where you would like that statement? Yeah, yeah, or yeah. or in the trial tab? No, 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 that's, that, that's in the defence I, I was just have the trial tab of things that you need that are sort of tools in the trial, so to speak. Um, you know, be they be they summaries or um, tables of contrast and evidence, etc. But in the in the defence, that's the defence case. So in the defence case, you might have you'll certainly have the the uh, client statement, the statements of any of his witnesses. Um, uh, you might have any pictures that you um, photographs that you're proposing to tender um, in your um, in the, in the trial itself, um, you can have the chronology there. I tend to have the chronology in the in the trial um, behind the trial tab. Um, but you know, as I say, it's a matter of um, it's a matter of uh, personal preference. Just as long as you and counsel are on the same page, so to speak, and sometimes literally on the same page. Uh, yeah. So look, um, when you're sending photographs to counsel, do not send photocopies of photographs um, unless they're really good because there's nothing worse than blotchy you know um, photographs you can't understand particularly when they're black and white uh, photographs, photocopies of coloured pictures um, get if, you, if there's pictures involved get the prosecution to send you a soft copy of the pictures you can print them out yourself in colour okay the next tab is the pleadings tab. This is something that, until today, Peter, I have to admit I haven't understood, but you've right. made it clear. You've already kind of summarised the things you like in there, which yeah. is the indictment, any any notices, any hearsay or tendency notices, notice of motions, affidavits, any offers or notices included in emails that you need to have yeah. readily accessible. Um, so what is the method or the reasoning behind this pleadings tab? Look, because it's... Uh it's just an organisational thing. I mean, it's, look, it's not my idea. It's something I read years ago from a, um, a Melbourne uh, silk, I think, and that's how he did it. Um, and it always struck me as being a really good idea because often um, you, you want to know what you have put in the court record or what's going to be relevant to, the, to any agreement as to whether 
to the way the matter is going to be run between you and the Crown. So the obvious thing, the, the most important document is the indictment, um, then any notices. So it's any communications, any formal communications with the court in the sense of uh, a notice of motion, an affidavit in support. Um, there'll be you know, uh, hearsay notices, there'll be tendency notices, anything that's of a formal or quasi-formal nature. Uh, it might be simply a letter to the other side saying, look, um, in the forthcoming trial we propose to object um, to the following pieces of evidence from the following witnesses on the following basis. And there might be a place to simply have a, um, a table setting out the witness names in one column, um, might be the paragraphs in the second column, the third one is you know, what I'm objecting to and why I'm objecting to it in short form. Um, the convenience of that is that um, A, there's no argument later on about what the um, objections were. Now sometimes, you know, you might, um, during the course of the trial, you might, um, uh, that, that'll sort of evolve. But, and you can put, simply put lines through stuff. But also, if it comes to an argument, you can simply hand the document out to the, uh, to the, to the judge and saying, well look, you know, we've settled, you know, numbers one to seven, but, you know, um, you know, eight to twelve are still an issue, and everybody knows what, what they are. Um, it's just a shorthand way of doing it. But so the pleadings thing, as I say, is is just um, so that you can have um, in a conveniently located uh, space all of the material that has been filed in the court, um, uh, except for subpoenas. Um, you'll have a separate file for those, but. Um, so you can just go to it straight away, that's all. Perfect, very helpful. Um, and the final tab we've got in the brief of evidence is the Crown or the Police Brief of Evidence. Um, first, do you like the, a brief index before this portion of the... Yeah, look, brief? what you get from the prosecution, um, I find, this is an electronic um, brief, is you'll get a whole lot of... Um, a whole lot of statements, sometimes they're in some kind of order and sometimes they're not. Um, often they're not in any order at all. Sometimes they are in um, civilian witnesses, expert witnesses, police witnesses, etc. Um, as I say, look, that's, that's fine, um, but really, in, in, in the course of the trial, I, I find um, if you're trying to you know, refer immediately to a witness, it's just the best way to do it is just to go to the alphabetical list of the names of the witnesses. Um, so, what you can do, um, and you can sort of play around with this to suit yourself. I mean, my preference is that the alphabetic, um, you can have a list of witnesses um, in, the, in the police order, uh, with a, you know, um, let's say one to, one to 30, that's fine. Um, you can also uh, put the surnames of the witnesses in another column and uh, then just go to you know you, you, to uh, Microsoft Word which the document will be on and um, you can just um, or, or you can make up the document yourself you can convert it um, but you can just make that into uh, an alphabetical list so 
that. My view is um, the alphabet wins every time. But look, while we're, while we're really on this, um, this is, I think, really important, certainly for me anyhow. If you're going to get a list of uh, uh, witnesses, or a, 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 a brief of Crown witnesses, A, you've got to, you've got to tab the witnesses. Now, as I say, alphabetical order above everything else. Um, you don't need uh, too much detail because often people will give you, solicitors will give you um, a large number of statements. They're all tabbed. But sometimes I've seen with blue plastic tabbing and the writing is in blue or black. It's hard to read. Um, sometimes it's, it's vertical, so you've got to turn the brief around so you can read them. Sometimes it's got too much information about the person's you know, first name, um, the date of the statement. You don't need all that. All you need is, you know, um, Anderson, you know, Brown, you know, Collins, Featherington. If there's more than one Anderson, you can have A. Anderson and B. Anderson. If A. Anderson's got more than one statement, it's A. Anderson date, B. and A. Anderson date two or whatever. But you don't need too much information. It's only so you can find it during when you're looking up, particularly during in the rush during the course of the trial. Um, but look, my my real thing is um, I just love scanning. Um, I love it. I think it's so good. I got this idea from a barrister called um, Peter Lowe, um, and the way he did everything, he just scanned everything. And the attraction of this is is well, it's multi. Um, the first thing is you don't lose documents. If you if you have all the documents scanned, you're not going to lose it because even if you do, it's it's um, on your computer. Um, so. When I get a brief, I simply uh, run the, just scan the entire thing. Now, what you do then is you, you'll need something like Adobe Acrobat. Uh, Adobe Acrobat uh, is moderately expensive um, and it's usually, um, it's usually only available to, for one or two um, computers if, you, you know, if, you're, if you're not an organisation. Um, but look, that's expensive. There's a thing called Soda S O D A uh, PDF. It's another PDF editing program. And the great thing about these things is you scan the stuff as you normally do. You apply the program to it. It makes the entire thing searchable. So if you've got you know 600 pages of documents and you want to know, you're trying to chase up what happened to some exhibit, um, you just put the exhibit number in. All all the mentions of that exhibit will come up. You don't have to read the entire thing. It is so good. Um, if you're wanting to rely on um, uh, parts of the document to put into submissions, once it's scanned and um, you've run the optical character recognition program through it, you can just take out the whole chunks of conversation and put them in your submissions. You can do anything. It's really, really good. Um, the other thing you can do about that um, is... Um, and this is not so much for the uh, witness statements, but you'll get situations where you've got, say, 400 pages of medical notes. You can't put those in really any order apart from the order in which they're received. And if you're trying to have a conversation with uh, your counsel or counsel is trying to have a conversation with opposing counsel about some aspect of that document, 
um, to make sure they're literally on the same page. You will just get the 400 pages, you will put it through the program and then paginate it. It'll paginate it electronically and it can be any kind of pagination you want. Um, every time I get a, a uh, list of um, a, a series of subpoenaed documents, um, I put it through the, I scan it, and so each of those pages will say, you know, page one, uh, police subpoena packet one, page two, police subpoena packet one. You can call it whatever you want. It'll paginate the whole thing for you. And when you're having some argument with the prosecution or discussion with the prosecution about uh, a particular uh, page number of a medical report or anything at all, bang, you're all on the same page. You all know what you're talking about. Um, the other day a client came in, mental health problems, 438 pages of um, documents from all over the place, but some of them were relevant. Um, I knew I'd have to talk to him over the telephone about them. I knew he'd never be able to find them. Um, and I wouldn't be able to find them either unless we, we just scan them all, paginate everything. He's got the same pagination that I have. The has got the same pagination, pagination I have. So we'll have a, a, a conversation. We're all on the same page. Yeah, this is one of the most helpful things, even yeah. for, for solicitors and barristers when you're talking and preparing for a trial. Um, people say to me, page whatever of whatever document, and we're both right there on the same page with paragraph numbers. We know exactly what each other's talking about. Yeah. Or particularly for solicitors instructing in a trial, um, you've got massive time constraints. And if Pete says, who said this? Or where in the brief of evidence does it say that? Um, it's really easy to search the document and, and say it's in this document at paragraph whatever. So um, that's one of the best things I yeah. think I've got from your briefs. It's been really helpful. There's one other thing about that, um, and this applies when the when a transcript's happening. You've got a trial running and you're getting your daily transcript. Um, often you will want to put that into one document, not just Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays transcript, one document with everything in it, okay? Now, when you try and do that by simply, the documents come in a Word document form. If you just add the second day to the first day, the pagination will go crazy by about two pages, and it's really annoying. There's a way around it, which is, um, there's two ways around it. The complicated way is fiddling with, um, Word document. Forget about doing that. <laughs> Simply um, scan. Uh, s s sorry, don't scan. Simply, you will you will receive the um, the transcript as a Word document by email. You simply download it, convert it to PDF, convert it to PDF, and then if you've got um, a um, something like Adobe Acrobat or Soda or whatever, you just add the documents one to the end of the other and they maintain perfect pagination um, that is it's worth gold just doing that because then you can search the entire three weeks transcript for any mention of you know a pink cat or a knife or whatever and it's all there <laughs> it can't go wrong that's great and uh, what, what we might do is I'll just quickly summarize those tabs yeah. uh, again and then we'll just see if there's anything else you sure. think that's super sure. important for them to know um, so again Brief of evidence, you've got five tabs. You've got the correspondence tab, the trial tab, defence case, pleadings and brief of evidence. And we've explained earlier on in the podcast as to what should go behind each of those tabs. Um, Pete, is there anything else important that you think everyone should know about? Look, um, this isn't so much in the brief itself, but I, I, the other thing I, I find, um, for clarity's sake, often I'll be 
because I tend to be a bit of a panicker and, and jump at shadows a bit, I'm often sending out emails to Sophie saying, oh, look, you know, can we check A, check B, can we ask the, 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 the Crown this or a witness that? And I tend to do that all the time, which annoys people, but um, uh, then later on I sometimes forget what the answers have been or, or where the email was that answered that. Um, and over you know, the last year or so, um, I've taken to just putting my requests, those sort of check requests, um, in one document. So what you do, you just have your, your word processing document you know, checks for so-and-so. I write down the questions, I send them off to, to uh, Sophie. She sends the document back with the answers and then next time um, I send out the same document with additional questions and answers and I know what she said in the first ones and I don't need to, it's always in the one place, it just adds the answers to the different questions. It's really, really, really convenient. Um, the other thing, look, sorry, one other thing you should always have, look, you just have to do this, have a checklist. If you're going to send out a brief to somebody and you're going to prepare a trial or anything, have a checklist. You know, Have you got the indictment? You don't want the sister asking the council ringing up, so have you got the indictment for this? Have a Make sure you've got a uh, the, the video copy of the ERISP. Make sure you've got the custody management records. Make sure you've got the client's instructions. And your, your checklist, which you use for every trial, will, will increase in length the, the more experienced you get. But look, checklists are a great idea. Um, Qantas pilots have taken off 1,000 times, always rely on a checklist, every time. They don't they don't leave anything to chance and you can't leave anything to chance either. Now, as I say, not every council is going to think the way I do. Just find out what your council thinks, how they want to do it and do it the way they want to do it. Yeah, I think that's a really important point to take. Everyone does like it differently. Yeah. Um, just call them up before, before you prepare the brief of evidence and ask them exactly how they want it. And if they don't, have a particular preference as to how they want it, then the way that Pete does it is a really great way um, of doing it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I hope Thanks it's for joining vaguely us. Vaguely helpful. <laughs> super helpful. Thank, as thank always. you. So you're the one. Super helpful. Thanks, guys. Bye. -bye. Bye.